Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and he will be joined a little bit later by Florida Atlantic coach John McCormick. Uh, We are excited to have you back here on the podcast, which, as always, is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out that database at rapsodo.com slash national database. Joe, we are uh, coming out of the Memorial Day weekend. I am coming back from vacation. Um, well, the, the John McCormick interview you did what happened while I was away, uh, but it is it is... Firmly September, uh, there was some college football played this weekend in, in the weird college football season that we're getting to. The NFL starts this week. We're, uh, we're kind of getting into, uh, into fall here. And, uh, you know, I, it, was, it was nice to, to get that break that I got, you know, to kind of celebrate the end of summer, I guess. But uh, now we're, we're back at it and we're, uh, we're, we're into the more traditional uh, school year in, in this very untraditional uh, fall semester. Indeed, we are. Uh, first, a, a, a upfront apology to the listeners, perhaps, uh, because it is apparently infrastructure week in Joe's neighborhood here. Uh, so if you hear a little construction noise in the background, that's why yesterday was a, a cacophony, they would say, there's an SAT word for you, but a cacophony of electric saws and jackhammering and things of that nature today. They're, they're still out there, but it's been a little bit quieter. So hopefully that holds for, for the rest of this reporting. But you are correct. We are into uh, what I call the spiritual beginning of fall, because I guess technically that's not another for another couple of weeks here. But I think we can all agree that once we get past Labor Day, we are in the, the, the spiritual beginning of fall, if not the actual beginning of fall. And I don't know about you, but my, my fiance and I have been talking a lot the last couple of weeks about how you can kind of things are starting to turn outside. And I can't quite put my finger on what about it is turning you know she's made the argument well the leaves are like not quite turning colors yet but it's like a different shade of green and, and i've thought about maybe it's that it's getting darker just slightly earlier and the, the the light is just a little bit different out there but between that and the fact that we've had you know a couple of cooler days we're still getting into the 80s here but a little bit cooler than it had been before and the fact that yes we did have some some college football over the weekend it was not particularly good college football weekend. I'm glad I did not really like clear my schedule to watch BYU Navy uh, last night because that was uh, domination by BYU 55 to three and what I thought was gonna be a pretty good game coming in. So uh, not great college football, but it was nice to have back. We got more coming this week and to dovetail into our conversation today. 
it's also kind of the start of schools trying to pull off this fall baseball thing. It seems like you and I since really since April have probably been talking about we're not sure what the fall is going to look like and what the fall is going to entail. And a lot of those questions are still unanswered, but we're starting to get some answers. And and in my interview with John McCormick, he was, you know, extremely forthcoming. I was thankful for that about what they're doing and kind of the anxieties that go along with that and just trying to get through it. And every school is a little bit different. And, you know, I asked him about ABCA and, you know, if they're offering any guidance and I just don't think there's a lot that can be done here because it's, it's so different from school to school, conference to conference. And um, so we've used the word unique a lot to describe the spring and the summer and and now the fall, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely that. And it's interesting that, you know, we're talking to John McCormick this week, who is, you know, he's playing or coaching in a conference that is playing football this fall uh, in Conference USA. Um, You know, they're one of, a half dozen conferences that are are going ahead with with fall sports and uh you know i i think that puts them maybe in a little bit different situation than some of the conferences that have canceled but you know it's uh everyone's just kind of trying to feel it out right now i think um and you know you you have a lot of different situations uh, across the country just when your school starts some of them started early some of them have been in in class for, for multiple weeks now. Some of them, um, you know, start a little bit later. You know, if you're on the quarters system, like a, a Stanford, you know, I, it, it starts a lot later. And, you know, so it, everyone's just kind of in their own space. And, you know, so it, it's, uh, it's something that we're still trying to get a handle on. But, you know, if you, if you log on to, uh, to Twitter and, you know, you, you pull up a, a variety of, of uh, different accounts from from baseball programs around the country you can find plenty of them that are are out there doing individual practices i don't know that anyone's advanced into team practices yet but um although maybe unc did this weekend i you know it's uh everyone's kind of in a different stage everyone you know every school has their own thing every conference has their own their own steps and guidances and, and all the rest of that but uh there it is good to see in the places where it's happening some some fall baseball, uh, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, n- none of them have really been together except if they played summer ball together for, for six months. And, you know, it's, it's just good to, to see, you know, the teams getting back together. And I know the players and the coaches are most excited just about the idea of getting back on the field together, uh, especially, you know, because, you know, they are every fall, you know, coming back, but, but this, this year, especially because of uh, everything that, that's happened over the last six to seven months, obviously, uh, we, we don't need to rehash the, the entirety of that there. But when, when your season is yanked out from under you, uh, just a few weeks into it, and then you have to wait six months to, to you know, get back together as a team, I, I can only imagine, um, you know, the kind of feelings that, that would go into that. Yeah, it's, it had, you mentioned the, the Twitter aspect of this, and that's been interesting to me. And I think you're right. I think I did see that UNC scrimmaged this past weekend, so perhaps teams moving a little bit in that direction. It's usually this time of year, and maybe some of it is there's a little less activity on campuses. And, and so in, in football, I think football spurs some of this because, um, you know, the, the school athletic departments are just a lot more active on Twitter whenever there's a lot of sports going on or a flagship sport like football is going on. But it almost seems like there, there's just, it's like it's a little bit of a secret that baseball is working out in some 
in in some places you you do see the twitter posts but even then it's a little more muted than it has been in the past it, to me anyway this is just my perception of it i'm not saying it's any sort of effort they're making necessarily but it, but it does feel a little more muted to me before where more was made of practice getting underway or you know uh, you'd see these several posts from each scrimmage uh, or, or or even the individual part of practice and there's just feels like there's been a little less of that I mean less volume sure because you've got less teams practicing fewer teams practicing but I think just even within the ones that are practicing it's been a little bit pulled back from where it from where it usually is in terms of, of amplifying that with the exception and I appreciate this of southeastern Louisiana who is also scrimmaging and they've been posting box scores and recaps from all of their from all of their scrimmages which is just on a level above and beyond what you kind of expect for relatively informal fall scrimmages that's been kind of kind of neat to see and they do the score graphics kind of like they do during the regular season so some schools are still very much turning it up to 11. We appreciate that. But, <laughs> but there are also, you know, for, for other schools, it really does kind of feel like almost a hush-hush secret, like let, let's go out there and let's practice. And, and we'll, we'll talk about this with, with Coach Mack in the interview, but uh, a little bit of, of the, the impetus to just kind of get out there and let's just kind of get this done and get to work uh, because, you know, it, it's almost like maybe if they don't say anything about it, maybe they'll be able to actually get through practice without, you know, something happening related to, to COVID or what have you. And, um, but it, it, it's just not, not what I'm used to seeing this time of year, which is a celebration of, hey, everybody's back in town. Let's get out there. Let's practice. And let's get everybody excited about baseball. I, I have just one more piece before we uh, move on to, uh, to that interview. So did you see uh, the, the news from Duke that uh, – you know, they had the the baseball team had turned over Jack Coombs Stadium uh, to a class, uh, you know, for to to have a, a class hold a class there. Um, one of the professors in there, I believe it was their School of Public Health, um, you know, reached out to uh, to Chris Pollard and wanted to see if he could use the baseball stadium as the setting for for his class. Obviously, a lot of classes trying to find outdoor spaces to work in and Jackcomb Stadium for those that haven't been there is has very much an amphitheater feel to it they've got a big jumbotron there uh despite the fact that or I should say video board despite the fact that you know Duke plays most of its games at at the the Durham Bulls Park downtown they they still have Coombs pretty well outfitted and has a new video board and um, you know, so they, uh, they held their class there. I believe it was just a one-time thing, not that they're doing this every week or how often the class meets, but they, uh, they turned it into a classroom for the day. It is kind of neat. I, I don't know about you, but I would have I probably paid a lot more attention in college if my classes, or maybe less attention, they'd have taken place in the baseball field. Actually, probably less attention because I would have just kind of <laughs> been looking around. So maybe that's, but yeah, that's a cool deal. I hadn't seen that, but that is, that is a cool deal. And uh, they, they certainly do have a screen big enough out of Coombs. That kind of surprised me because they play, to your point, they, they play a lot of games at, at, you know, Durham Bulls Athletic Park. And so you kind of assume that, you know, Coombs would be, uh, you know, a big step back from that. And in some ways it is. It's a very simple grandstand. They don't have, you know, suites or hospitality areas or anything like that. It is a very basic facility itself. But, man, that video board is just about as good as any. Uh, they have it's also it new, I think. Like, yeah, <laughs> they put that yeah. in not that long ago. <laughs> so like, it was kind of a kind of a weird deal when I first went out to Coombs. I guess for a preseason scrimmage, I guess what was this past January or early February, 
and you know, I, I rolled up and, and walked out there and kind of expected it to be a, just kind of basic all around, but then voila, here's this huge video board just kind of hit you in the face. So I was, I was kind of surprised to see that not knowing that was going to, to be there, but yeah, cool. Um, you know, cool deal there. And in, in another way in which, you know, it, it's uh, another way in which the baseball program can be a good neighbor to the rest of the university. And, and I know coaches, you know, coaches will talk about wanting to, to be that and, and, and they mean it. I'm not suggesting they, that they don't, but you know, a lot of times there's just not always a lot of ways to really do that. And, and this is an opportunity for, in, in Duke's case to, for the baseball program to be, to be a good neighbor and to, to be a good part of the campus community and really contribute something beyond uh, the athletic side of things. So that's really cool. I mean, I feel like if uh, you did this in Starkville, like you would probably increase the class attendance, right? If, if you could say we were holding class today in Duty Noble, like I, I feel like more people would show up to class. Oh yeah, um, no doubt. If, if you're a professor having attendance problems, you know. Yeah, no doubt. I, that, no doubt about that. You could, you know, certainly pull that off there. You could probably pull that off in Oxford, there, you know, Fayetteville, probably the same way. So there's, there's some places where you could certainly do well as a professor to uh, spike attendance a little bit and, and do, do your classes, uh, do your classes out there. And, you know, I mean, it, it would take some communication between professors, but like, there's no reason why you couldn't put multiple classes in some of these stadiums like Duty Noble hold, holds a, a ton of people. Bob Walker holds a ton of people. Um, you know, all, a lot of these SEC stadiums do like you, you could, you could easily pet, like maybe you can't all, obviously you can't all use the video board then. Uh, but you know, I don't know outside the box thinking I'm, yeah, I'm all sure. for that right now. I mean, we're, yeah, I was about to say we're in this period of time when everyone's doing outside the box thinking about everything. And I mean, I think too, I mean, turf is so good these days. I mean, as long as you know, you'd have to have some level of trust with what's going on there. But if, if kids are, if the, the turf is nice and dry and folks are willing to sit out on the turf, you, you know, it's a bring your own blanket situation. You sit out on the turf and uh, spread out in the outfield. Like that could work as well. It doesn't have to be limited to the, to the stands themselves. So yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was thinking the stands cause like, you know, you get, you get some shade there. So now you don't have to sure. worry about sun, but if you're willing to, if you're willing to go out in the sun, you know, then yeah, I mean, even, even more spaces, you know, open, open the lounge, open, open the yeah, outfield. There you you go. Know? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, really. That's a uh, lots of opportunity there for sure. All right. So before we get to our interview, uh, we uh, have another word from our sponsors. It's summertime. And at my bookie, that can only mean one thing. It's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, and then some. The craziest sports summer of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition, select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA, that's all one word, and double your first deposit. Again, promo code BASEBALLAMERICA. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. All right, Joe, let's get to uh, your interview with Florida Atlantic coach John McCormick. The Owls um, 
were in the midst of uh, another solid season. They were 10 and six when the uh, spring season got shut down. They knocked off Miami in a midweek, uh, you know, just kind of rolling along again, looking like one of the top teams in conference USA. And uh, so we're, uh, we're excited to check in with John McCormick about that. And also he is uh, the division one president in the American baseball coaches association. So he has uh you know, he, he has a lot of insight into, um, you know, what's going on around the country and, you know, how ABCA is, is progressing or, you know, looking to, to provide guidance or, you know, looking at legislation and, and the like. So he's always a very uh, interesting person to, to, to speak to uh, on a variety of topics. And so uh, let's get to, uh, to that interview you did with John McCormick. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, I am very excited to be joined by Florida Atlantic coach John McCormick. Lots to get into with Coach Mack. Uh, certainly we'll discuss expectations for what will be a unique fall, both from a national perspective and specific to his FAU program. We'll look ahead to the team he'll have in 2021 and perhaps most importantly, a topic near and dear to both of our hearts, Disney World. So looking forward to uh, talking a little Disney with, with Coach Mack. But uh, Coach, how are you? How has extended offseason treated you so far? I'm doing well, Joe. I appreciate it. Um, it's treating me fine. Not much different um, other than not being able to recruit and um, but did a lot of the same things. But good to be back on campus. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, I, uh, you know, it, it dawned on me as I was getting ready for this podcast that maybe you should actually be hosting this thing. You are a <laughs> podcast mogul in your own right. You've got the Max Musing series at FAUsports.com. Just quickly before we actually get going here, like, how did that project come to be, and, and how much fun did you have doing that? Well, um, me and John, uh, our SID, um, we, we kind of talked about a way to get information out in, uh, about, the, about the team and about the program, other than just in a, sh a more long-form long than short-form. Form. And I think that people are – want to know kind of a little bit of behind the scenes um, of how things kind of run a little bit. And that's, that's, and I don't mind talking as everybody knows. Um, and I enjoy it. And I, I, I have nothing to, you know, I like everybody to know everything. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And I think that especially up until probably June when we took a break and we'll start up again, I thought it was great that, we went back and talked about the old games. And the thing that I find neat is the old players call me and like, God, coach, I haven't thought about that game in 10 years, 11 years, you know, and you brought back memory. So that's the fun part. That, that, that's, that's the fun part. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I, I know I've enjoyed listening to him as a cool little side project that, that I thought you guys were running there. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that a lot. So Let's, uh, I guess let's Thank get you. to business here. You, uh, you mentioned, you know, being back on campus and I think I saw on, social media earlier this week, actual players on the field, which is a great sign and a great thing to see given all that we've, we've had to, to work towards to, to get to that point. So how has it been so far to be back on campus? What has it been like? Uh, what, kind, what phase, if for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of what phase are you guys in in terms of uh, doing <laughs> baseball activity for lack we, of a better way to put it? Well, we're, we're kind of where we normally are. Uh, we're doing small group um, you know, four to five people in a group. Um, some things, uh, of course, have changed. The weight room looks different because we can only do 10 guys at a time. And credit to the players because they've had 
and we've tried to set it up where they can kind of seamlessly go from one thing to the other, but we just can't. So credit to them where they've been, we can't let them go back to the locker room and hang out. So they've either, you know, gone out front of the building and sat on benches and waited their turn, or they've gone to their car. Um, so credit to them. But a lot of it has been the same um, uh, that we've done in every September. You know, it's just, we are going at a, I hate to say this, we're going at a little faster pace because we want to get to fall practice, team practice, before anything drastic might happen. Um, I always have it concerning in the back of my head that, you know, we're going to have a second round of this as it, and maybe they send the students home and maybe we don't get to practice. Um, and it's really important that, uh, and I say that with the utmost respect of what's going on around the country, it's really important for, for the short term in baseball that we get on the field and kind of play as a team and see what we got. Um, and I, and I say that with the utmost respect because I know people around the country have had their seasons canceled. I've been through it. There's people that have, are, are tremendously sick. There's a lot of things going on. And I know when we do these podcasts, sometimes I feel a little guilty because we are talking about a luxury, um, but it is what we do, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think even folks in, in my profession have had to grapple with that a little bit just from the standpoint of, you know, we've been really tied into whether at the, the college level, the, the minor league level, the, the, the major league level, folks who cover baseball have been really keyed into when is baseball coming back and, and how is baseball coming back? And, you know, there's always balancing that with the idea that obviously, you know, uh, given what we've been through this spring and summer, it's not been the most important thing. And so you, you yes. kind of have to compartmentalize, which is, something that uh, for folks like you and I who love the game, it's just not always the easiest thing to do because we, we get so focused on getting the game back and being able to do the kinds of things that we, we love all over again. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's been a balancing act for, uh, I know for me on a, and for everybody um, to kind of understand where we are in the world and put it in the right context. And, 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 and along with that, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to the players about that type of stuff on a normal year. So it's been heightened, but a lot of it has been through Zoom and email and some, some um, you know, PowerPoints to help the guys understand what's going on um, in the world and give them some opportunities to get some safe opportunities to get involved. You alluded to it a little bit there, but, but of course not everyone is in the position where they've got their players back and can really get going and, yeah. and try to get some of that work in. So, you know, you have a little bit of a different perspective from just your average coach, given your role as Division One chair for, for ABCA. And I don't know how to exactly phrase this question, but I think you'll know what I'm going for and you can help walk me through it here. But does the organization ABCA have a particular stance or recommendation on how the fall should be approached? Is there some sort of guidance you're giving your membership? Not really. Um, you, you know, early in this thing, we, we tried um, we tried to get some legislation in there, and, and we were able to with the expanded roster, and we were able to with the less than 25%. We, you know, little wins here and there. Um, we had uh, floated um, a different way of doing the fall, but I think when we had put that together, we thought that – um, this pandemic would be kind of wrapping up or slowing down. 
Um, and, and basically it was give us more time with the team, you know, do away with the 132 day, um, uh, um, schedule. Uh, but that didn't really gain any traction because, you know, they're so concerned with football and basketball, rightfully so that I think that some of our issues are, and we're spring sport. I think it's just be safe. Um, kind of understand where you are in the pecking order, make sure that we keep our athletes safe. Don't cause any undue stress on the athletic department and let's get to the spring, you know, let's get to the spring. That's my, that, that's not, that's more me talking opposed to any sort of grand plan from the ABCA, but the ABCA Craig Kylitz and, and the, the guys out there did a great job of, of helping us craft our message um, to get some of those things that we were able to get to help the student athletes out with the roster and the uh, less than 25% and, and some of those things. So uh, we're certainly fortunate that they helped out. You're a coach I, from previous conversations I've, I've had with you in the past. I know you're a coach that's meticulous in, in building schedules to put your team, you know, in a position to do what you need to do to get to the postseason. But I think one thing Teddy and I have been, uh, impressing upon our listeners over the last couple of months is that, look, you know, college baseball is going to look probably a little bit different in 2021, just in terms of, you know, the way schedules are built and some conferences or schools are doing one thing and others are doing this over here. So with that being the reality, and, and you can tell me maybe if you, you disagree a little bit there, but how would you like, and this is putting the cart warning, this is putting the cart so far in front of the horse that we, you know, we can't see the cart anymore, but how would you, how would you want the, the the selection committee once we get to the end of 2021 season and, and hopefully, you know, we get through it without any hiccups and we're able to play baseball and all of that. How should they approach kind of balancing that? If you've got some teams that play a mostly normal, you know, 50 game schedule and you've got other teams that play just conference games and say like 30 games, I mean, how, how would you even begin to kind of balance that and, and build out a field of 64? I think they have to do a ton of research and they have to use the RAC committee, uh, the regional advisory committee um, to be able to decipher, um, Hey, these guys got a bad break, but it's a good team. Um, I know when I was on the rack and, and the chair um, really, really stressed, get involved, look at the teams, make sure the teams are, are set up where we think they have a chance to go and compete at a regional that they have the pieces. So I think that if you're on the NCAA division one baseball committee in June, you, you've got to lean on the rack and you've got to kind of get, get involved more so and kind of dig beyond the numbers because they're going to be, I think there's going to be some anomalies. There's going to be some teams that end up with a really good RPI that, you know, might be 500 ish. And then you're going to have some teams that have had really good year and their RPI is not so good because of where they're located. Because I know you mentioned, I know I'm not going to mention schools because of recruiting for their, for their benefit, but I know there's some schools that have been cut to 30 games. There's some schools that have been cut to regional play only. So they're not going to be able to get to some of those better RPI games on the road. So it, it, it I think there's going to have to be, you know, I think we're going to have to not worry about a conversation in June like, hey, this team has 76 RPI. Why'd they get in? Like, that has to go out the window. You know, the RPI is what it is. They were a good team. We investigated it. 
They got the makings of a chance to go to a regional and do some damage. We put them in, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a little bit too optimistic thinking, but for me as someone who is, is can sometimes be critical of the, of the RPI, I think as, as a lot of people are, I wonder if maybe this opens the door for like, look, we wish we were in a position where we didn't have to treat the season this way. We wish that we'd had a normal sure. season and not had this pandemic, but at the same time, Maybe this opens some doors where we look at the field of 64 that we got, and we got some teams that maybe didn't have those traditional metrics, like you mentioned, that end up showing us the value of having teams like that in the field. And, and I don't know, like I said, maybe I'm being a Pollyanna, but I just wonder if that opens up some doors to look at the field, field building a little bit differently than we have in the past. I, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. And, and um, uh, I, I, again, the strength of schedule and – and we have to balance – we cannot uh, kind of – I don't want to say punish because that's not the right word. We cannot hold it against a, a, a good team that's caught a bad break because of finances. Um, I think we have to look at – again, it's going to require a little bit work, a little bit more work. It's going to require – the rack committee um, guys to really, really dig on the teams in their area and get on the phone. And um, I, I took it as a, a huge honor to be on the rack and to be able to, to talk to the coaches, tell me about your team. If we didn't play them, talk to opponents. Do you think they could go and win a regional? Yeah, they got a, they got three starters. They got a closer. They're really good offensively. They play with energy. Okay. Thank you. You know what I mean? Um, to be able to follow the injuries uh, when it gets to that point. And I think that this year, more than any other year, we've really got to dive in on that because you look at, you look at schools that are not going to have an opportunity to get south and get some RPI points. It's going to turn into be an issue if we stick with the traditional metrics. Um, I, I would love for the RPI to be somewhat adjusted, um, Someone adjusted. Um, I've done a little work on it. Uh, I've talked to the, the baseball committee about it, about one thing that I brought up is, why don't we do the RPI on 50 games instead of 56? Give everybody six games to, to kind of play some people that are close, that won't hurt you. Um, we might get Old Dominion, Norfolk State some more. We might get Vanderbilt, Tennessee State. We might get, I mean, I know LSU has played Southern. We, you know, Bethune in Florida, FAMU in Florida State. We might get some of those where we can maybe help some of the, um, some of those teams um, to be, to get a better schedule. Uh, it would give maybe some kids an opportunity to get some more at-bats and then it would cut down on some – you see some really wacky travel late in the year trying to get some RPI points, right? Right. Um, I know years, a couple of years ago we played Sam Houston State, and I think a week later they jumped on a plane and flew on a Monday to Arizona, played a doubleheader Tuesday, and then came back to get RPI points. Um, I know games have been canceled late in the year – for uh, RPI points. Um, I know people are spending money and traveling and guys are missing class time to get RPI points later in the year. Um, and if we, if we give everybody a little bit of a gimme, maybe we cut down on some of that stuff. Maybe we, we, get, we get some regional matchups. Maybe we get some 
uh, an opportunity to play some better games and get some more guys some at bats. Not that you're gonna not try to you're not gonna schedule a game and not try to win, but you might be apt to get a young man another start and try to build him in college baseball opposed to you know if we if we schedule this game and we lose it could knock us out of the regional and we've all seen it i remember liberty about 8 years ago beat i'm not sure who it was and they lost 17 points and probably kept them out of a regional you know southern miss late in the year a couple of years ago lost swept somebody lost 10 points and probably knocked him out of hosting. So, um, and that's for winning, you know? Um, uh, so I, I think there's a better way to do that um, and give some people a chance to uh, play some different matchups and save some money and keep guys in class. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of an inequity issue there too. I, I, I'm really, uh, I've always liked kind of this idea that you, that you have there uh, and similar ones I've seen because I, I think the other thing that happens is that there ultimately are the same types of teams at the bottom of the RPI every year. It's small sure. conferences in the Northeast. It's the HBCU conferences, the MEAC and the SWAC. It's, you know, uh, the teams that are new to division one that are moving up. And ultimately those schools have to make schedules too, but yep. you're, you're telling the schools who are in postseason position every year, don't play them because this is that that's going to hurt your RPI. And I've just, you know, I, I just think it's tough on those schools because you're right that they have to know if you've got a game, if you've got a Tuesday game in May against a team that's 50 in the RPI, like that game's probably going to, you know, or is in peril. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, um, and I just think that, you know, it's got to be tough on those coaches knowing that they've got to build a schedules, knowing that no one really actually wants to play those games. And those are hard conversations to have even previous um you know, you have a friend, you have friends in this business and, Hey, we'd love to come down and play. And I'm like, I can't, you guys are 240 the last three years. I, I, I can't afford it, you know? Um, and it's tough and oh come on, you know, and, it, and it's cause you're friends with these guys. Um, but you know, the committee doesn't look at it that way, you know, especially for, you know, the Sunbelt American conference USA, you know, some of those conferences that traditionally are the, you know, six through 10, every point counts, every point counts, you know, um, you could see it like in comp, especially late in the year, you see a bad loss and I see it come across the ticker and I go, well, that might've cost them, you know, uh, um, you know, they lost on the road to someone that's 172 and you go, oh, that might've cost them, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's never easy, and, and there's got to be – I don't know. We're too smart nowadays. There's got to be a – I don't want to say a better way, a different way to do it, you know, to be able to um, to be able to uh, uh, find a better metric to, to help us with it, you know? Right. I'm curious, um, you know, without necessarily uh, betraying the trust of those you, you've scheduled with and worked with, but just kind of generally speaking – how has some of the uncertainty about this kind of stuff bled into your schedule building? I mean, you know, baseball yeah, I mean, yeah, baseball is not like football and that you don't have games in the books for 15 years down the road. But I imagine there, you know, you've, you've been working on some of this stuff for a while. And now I imagine there's a lot of wait and see going on or just outright, hey, I don't think this is going to go. So I'm curious what kind of those conversations have been like so far. We've had um, two, four, 
we've had seven, six non-conference games canceled from Northern teams already. Um, we've had a uh, – our second weekend is, is – I got a call that I don't know what's going to happen, but if you can find somebody else, do it. Um, uh, and then, of course, our conference was – we were cut from 10 weeks to um, eight weeks. Um, so we had to pick up – we had to pick up games – we had a pickup series, which one of them is one of them we found a weekend. The other one is the last weekend of the year, which, you know, good luck with that. Um, so uh, I, we've, we, I haven't really done much scheduling probably since I would say end of May for 21. And what I'm waiting for, and I think that once everybody gets in school, and the enrollment figures for every some for some of these schools are put together, and they actually see their budget. Then there's going to be a lot of phone calls come mid late September to say, "Hey, we were cut another ten percent. We can't come. Um, enrollment was down. Dorm dorm bodies were down." I, I think that you know I think we we got through the initial wave of hey budgets are going to get cut. Then now I think there's going to be another wave when when we see what enrollment is, which drives budgets. Um, and then we'll go from there. And, 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 and we've done a, a pretty good job in the state of Florida, um, kind of keeping in touch with everybody saying, hey, you know, we might have to play, you know, I, I talked to Miami, we play them three times. We might, we talked about a four or five time deal if, if we both get canceled and some stuff. Um, I've already added another game, we usually play home and away with Florida Gold Coast. We added a third game, talked to Central Florida about the possibility of doing that. Um, we're going to play South Florida this year um, for the first time in years just because of the distance. But um, it's a bus trip and it's cheaper and, um, you know, it's probably should be happening anyways, but now we're going to make it happen. So uh, I, I think everybody's kind of holding firm until we see what the actual – enrollment numbers are and budget is let's uh let's dig in a little bit specifically to your team there and i guess just simply I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you with what has you most excited about your team heading into 2021 um you know i i think everybody's in the same boat that the team you had on paper february the the, the team you thought you were going to have uh for the 2021 season on paper you know, February 10th is totally different. We ended up in a good way. We ended up with two seniors back, um, uh, three seniors um, back, um, which gives us a lot of experience. Wilfredo Alvarez at short, Bobby Morganson and right, and Dylan O'Connell, left-handed pitcher, um, which you didn't think those guys were going to come back. You know, we lost out on a guy, um, Frankie Urbaez, signed as a free agent. Um, then on the other side, we ended up with, a, with, with two guys showing up to school, three guys showing up to school, Nolan Chanuel, Caleb Pendleton, and Javier Rivera, that I think if it was a 10-round draft and the teams weren't so budget conscious, I don't think those guys show up. So we're excited to see what they can do. Um, excited, first of all, to have everybody back, but – you know, trying to meld 
uh, a group together under different different circumstances. We can't do some of the team building stuff that we've done in the past, um, uh, but we're trying the best we can um, in smaller groups, which requires more time, um, which the NCA never factors in that now coaches are out on the field for seven hours, you know, um, uh, uh, which is a small price to pay, but there is, there is a price to being paid for, for the coaches. But I, I would think the, 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 to see Bobby and Wilfredo kind of get a redo and, and Dylan in their senior year. And then those couple guys that I mentioned that might not have been here if this didn't happen to see how they do in another year of college baseball. So um, uh, we, we, our center fielders playing football. So we'll see um, how he does when he comes back. And um, I'm happy he's getting a chance to play football, but I, I really wanted him to play fall baseball because he needed as many at bats as he can. Um, the rest of the guys are third baseman's back. Um, uh, BJ Murray, Nick Tony, those Nick Tony behind the plate. Those two guys will be, you know, top five, seven round picks. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. But everybody, I think, in college baseball has gotten a few quote unquote Christmas presents because of of the way Major League Baseball had run the draft. It had it has certainly caused a few roster issues for everybody, and I think it's caused you know, it's, it's forced us to have some conversations that we probably didn't want to have with young men and their families. And I think everybody's handled it really well, both, both the coaches and the families. Um, but then I think it's going to lead to an absolutely competitive college baseball season, um, which is going to be fun to watch and um, fun to be a part of. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, you, you echoed a little bit of, of, of conversations I've had with, with coaches in leagues similar to yours, where uh, not the, the top power leagues, but the, the leagues that already compete nationally, but they're thinking about, you know, you got to look out for some of these, maybe like a, you know, a second or third team coming out of CUSA or a second or third sure. team out of the Sun Belt or the Missouri Valley, what have you. Those teams are going to be really old and really talented. Yeah. And I mean, th there's going to be some really dangerous upper level mid-major programs that I think are, are going to really um, be in positions to make deep runs because I think there's there's a little more turnover at the power conference level just because they had more of their guys end up drafted and so yeah we're working on the on the margins a little bit here but those are kind of the the, the the scenario where those teams can compete a little bit better nationally when they're when they're old you know experienced and kind of been there before I agree I agree I you know I and you look at in our league you know Southern Miss um it's Gabe Shepard back, which he's a stud, you know, Charlotte's added, um, you know, a couple grad transfers and uh, a couple transfers that got waivers and they've immediately made themselves better. I think the team in our league that you really, really got to keep an eye on is old dominion. Um, they got off to a really, really good start, got everybody back, um, added a few pretty good pieces uh, so, uh, um, you know, it's going to be a dogfight, right? I know Rice has gone out into the transfer market and got a really good shortstop from LSU. And um, so I think everybody has benefited from it, um, not only in our league, but, you know, Sunbelt and um, the American. And, and um, I, I think the, the, the teams that do the best are the ones that are able to, you know, it's always been hard to – 
incorporate those guys in for a year. But I, I think that it's going to be easier because everybody kind of knows what's going on. I think that uh, at least I know dealing with our guys is there's a certain level of we, we have a bigger roster than we've had in 12 years. And I've talked to them. I was like, we have to have patience. Um, and I know it's easier for me to say, but I think that they understand it. You know, I think that there's a, there's a, I think for everybody, there's a sense of at least early in the fall, the, the coach that I've talked to, there's a sense of that everybody understands what's going on. And, and hopefully we don't, you know, we don't, it doesn't turn on teams because having big rosters could be great, but it also could be really bad. You know, it can be really, really bad. It can cause problems in the locker room because again, come February, you know, 15th, whatever the date is, there's still only, you know, nine guys running out there to play, you know? Um, so it could, it could end up causing problems. So I think for the coaches, communication, letting guys know where they stand, um, is really, really important. I'm curious about the, the process you and your, your coaching staff are, are thinking about when you deal with, as you, you mentioned, just a, a bigger roster in terms of numbers. Um, what is, what, are, what is the fall practice period look like? And then when you get back in the, in the spring and, and get going, hopefully, what are the kinds of things you're talking about? What are the kind of things you're, you're thinking about as you try to get, you know, get it down to, as you, as you put it, you, know, you only play nine guys at, at one time. How are you yeah. working through that? Well, um, Again, we had stress to the players, and, and we were fortunate being in Florida. Uh, I know everybody around the country kind of looks at us cockeyed. Um, uh, we were fortunate. We had about 26 guys play summer ball in Florida, uh, Central Florida League, the South Florida Collegiate League, um, Gulf Coast League. Uh, so we were very, very fortunate. And we stressed to our guys that, hey, season got over you know, early April, let's try to stay in shape. We're going to, we're going to, we're doing about three weeks of, of um, skill work. And then we're going right into inner squads and the inner squads are going to look really different um, because we've got to, we've got to figure out what we, what we have. We've got to kind of line up um, what we think might be, you know, the framework of a rotation, the framework of a back end, um, the you know with some of the guys departing who's going to play certain positions so we we have told the players that and be prepared we're going to inter squad a lot you know when it comes to team practice time um, we're going to inter squad a lot uh, we're going to try to get our work in um, early in terms of you know maybe a half hour of defense and and if you if we're going to hit it's going to be before that might be in the cages, but we got to inner squad. We've got to get playing and learn how to play together because we haven't been together for seven months and we do have new guys. We don't have the luxury. And again, me being a little nervous, I, I, I don't want, I don't want to miss out on us being together as a team and something happened in October and they say, Hey, everybody's got to go home, you know, um, God forbid, that this thing has another life to it, which I pray it doesn't. Um, so our goal is to get on the field. And I thought three weeks was the safest amount of time with them coming off summer ball to be able to get right into team practice. And that's what we're stressing. Like 
when we get to team practice, it's going to be inner squads and we've got to, if you've got to be able to show us what you can do. Um, because again, we don't know how it's going to look the end of the fall and we don't know how it's going to look coming back in, in January. We have to kind of make hay when we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what do you say we, we uh, transition to something super important like Disney World? What do you say? Sure. All right. Game. So I did, not, I did not know uh, that, that uh, John McCormick was a Disney World aficionado until I actually listened to the Max Musings episode where okay. you, you, uh, you know, went on about, about Disney World. And I, um, I you know, was delighted because I, I too, am, am um, a big Disney World guy. So I'm curious how – I think everybody kind of has their own – origin story of how it became a thing in their life. But how did Disney World become a big part of your life? Well, we moved to Florida from New York right as Disney um, kind of got going. And we were up there. My parents took us up there when I think the Disney was open for only six, seven months. And I was like absolutely amazed by the whole thing. You know, um, a young kid and, um, you know, big – Daniel Boone type fan and um, all that stuff. Just loved it. And then Disney is about two and a half hours away. And my cousins would come down from New York and we would go to Disney. We would have school trips and it would be at Disney. So we constantly went there and enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. Um, and then when I got to be a father, um, took the kids up there the first time and it changes the whole dynamic of it, you know, um, in terms of watching them enjoy it. And um, so we were fortunate enough and, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a great place to vacation for kids. It has a lot of built in stuff that you can do. Um, and for, for me, it was, I, I always say it was a little bit of a cop out because it was only two and a half hours away it was close to where we recruit, you know, in Orlando, in Tampa. So we could always make it work, me and my wife. And the kids loved it. Uh, my parents could come up. And, and, you know, then you got to appreciate what an operation it is and how, you know, they never, and this is my opinion, Disney never takes you for granted. You know, I know it, it's a little bit pricey at times, but they never take you for granted. The place is immaculate. They make sure that your experience is great. And, and that from a, from a consumer, from a professional, from a, you know, someone that wants fans to, to have a good experience at, at my ballpark or our ballpark, I just always thought that was the greatest thing, you know. Um, and every time you went, you can kind of discover something new. Um, and then, then I took it to another level and I started reading about Disney himself and how sharp he was and, you know, the, the grand vision and, and the obstacles he overcame. And, and, and I've just always enjoyed it. I've enjoyed, you know, from the, 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 the absolute base, just fun of it to appreciating it as a business. And even though it is a business, they do want everybody, and this is my opinion, truly when you walk through that gate, they want you to have a magical experience. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I, I echo all of that. And I, I don't know that I told the story on air, but, you know, my entree to Disney World was that I went, you know, I went when I was really little, obviously. I don't sure. remember any of that. But 
I went when I was 15. And of course, 15, as you know, coach is the, the age at which the kids want the least to do with their parents. Sure. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I went on this vacation with my, my dad and my stepmom and my, my two step siblings who were significantly younger than me, nine and 11 years younger. And so they were the prime age for this. Uh, I was not, I kind of expected, Oh, it'll, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. Um, but I went and just had a great time and I came away just blown away by the fact that my, you know, 40 some odd year old, uh, dad and stepmom had a good time. A 15 year old had a good time. And then the six and the four year old had a good time. And I just, there are very few places in the world where I think a family of five with ages from, you know, mid forties to four years old can go and have, and each have their own good time and not just because the kids are having a good time, you know? Um, so that, that really has just kind of, stuck with me. And so there's a million reasons why I love it, but that, that has always just kind of, kind of stuck out to me as, as unique about, about that place. Um, do you have a, do you got, when you stay on property, do you have a favorite resort? I know that's kind of a, can be uh, kind of everyone has their own little piece of, of Disney that they most appreciate. Well, it, it would either be uh, the kids when they were young, we had a great time at the wilderness lodge. It was um, relatively new um, I always liked the, again, the Daniel Boone type setting. Um, they have the cafe in there, um, whisper, whisper Creek cafe. And I don't know if you've been there. They have, they do the thing. If you ask for ketchup, then all the servers bring all the bottles of ketchup to your table. Um, and my oldest son was a, you know, he had ketchup on everything. So the first time they did it, um, we didn't even know. And it was hilarious. And it was kind of one of those things like, Hey, let's go eat there. They're going to do the thing again, you know, um, there. And then the first time we ever went there, um, uh, we stayed at, um, Oh God. Um, the original, the original one, um, uh, the grand Floridian. No, the one next to it. Contemporary Polynesian Polynesian. There you go. We, when we originally went up there, when we were young, young, we stayed there because it was only, that was the only place. And then, um, and then um, we had went back um, and that one's kind of neat because when you wake up and you go down to breakfast, you can see the park, you know, and it kind of right. um, uh, whets your appetite, so to speak. And um, they have a good, they have a good pool for the kids and, um you know, the, the ferry ride across is easy and, and, uh, uh, but we, we've, we've stayed at Port Orleans. We've stayed at the, um, um, Animal Kingdom. Um, we've stayed at, you know, I don't want to say every one of them, but, you know, we stayed at the contemporary, um, uh, they're all good. You know, I, 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 um, last time we went, we stayed in and, and I wasn't a huge fan, but it was okay. We stayed in one of the cabins. Um, we stayed in one of the cabins. Right, yep. At um, Fort Wilderness. In Fort Wilderness. Um, and, you, you know, I always like staying where there's a, the, the centerpiece lodge to it, you know. Um, the Grand Floridian where you come downstairs and it has the, it has the, the lodge area. Um, there you, you kind of wake up and you're, you, you know, you got to get walk in and catch the bus. And although it was, it was different because then you're, you're, you know, we had, the kids were way older then. 
Um, and they were kind of off doing their own thing. So it was easier for everybody to kind of come and go. Um, uh, but uh, it's all, it's all good. You know, we, we had some great, great times. And when the kids were, when the kids were at that prime age, you know, seven, nine, 11, 13. And then when they got to be 13, 14, you could get in the magic kingdom and, and say, Hey, we'll meet you at this place at three o'clock. And my two sons are a year and a half apart. So they could go off and do their thing. And, you know, you don't worry about safety. You don't worry about them leaving the park. And so they could have their own little excursion. And then, you know, then we can do stuff. So it was, it, it's all, it's all great fun. And I, I don't, you know, I know that, um, uh, I know some people think of it directly opposite, but it's been awesome for me and my family. Yeah. Same, same here. I, it's, it's just about impossible. If, if you allow yourself to, to get in the, the mental space that you need to be in, it's impossible to, uh, to not have a good time once you walk in those gates. That's always been, always been my take on it. So happiest uh, place on earth. That's right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Well, coach, I, I appreciate your time today talking about a, a, a whole range of things. Appreciate your perspective, you know, on kind of where we're at in college baseball and approaching this. Uh, it's just no other way to put it a unique, a unique fall coming off of the unique spring and summer and, yes. and what, will, what will still be a unique next spring. So appreciate that. Always love talking about your FAU teams and looking forward to seeing uh, how you guys perform in 2021. So I appreciate your time today. Thanks again. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about FAU baseball. And I certainly appreciate what you guys do for college baseball. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we're all in this together. And um, I certainly, like I said, I certainly appreciate what you guys do for us. So thank you. Absolutely, Coach. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you again to John McCormick for joining us here on the Baseball America College Podcast. Uh, Joe, I, I know uh, you always enjoy speaking with, with Coach. Uh, what, what kind of stood out to you this time from your conversation? Yeah, he, he um, yeah, first of all, just, just a, a pleasure to talk to. He's always really kind with his time and, and thoughtful and you know, as a podcast host himself, he appreciates the medium of the podcast. He gets it. Like he's really, really into it. So that makes it uh, more fun still uh, setting aside the Disney stuff. We also talked some, some Disney there at the end, but I think what was interesting to me is to hear him be, to kind of speak to something that I think you and I have talked about and that we have kind of intuited. And that's that there is urgency here to get out on the field as quickly as you can, as quickly as the, the administration will allow, your local government will allow, whoever is, is basically giving you the okay on yes or no. There is some urgency to get out there and get this done and then get out. And I know that's not really probably a position that coaches want to be in because you want, you want the fall practice period to be thoughtful and methodical and to have you know, to, to be able to do it in the way that you normally do it. And, and he did say that, you know, so far it's been mostly a normal practice period for us. So it hasn't been too disrupted. However, he admits that, you know, we could get, we could get bad news any day now that says uh, we've got to the, the kids have to get off campus. We're going fully remote, you know, practice is going to have to shut down. And he knows that that could come. That's just the reality. And so there is urgency to kind of get this, this done. And he talked a lot about, you know, something that I hadn't considered, which is that, you know, they're doing small groups and rotating. And if, if you're not 
involved in something, you can't really congregate in the dugout. You can't congregate in the clubhouse. So, you know, he talked about players just standing outside the building or players going to their cars and waiting in their cars. And that's just one of the millions of ways in which things are going to be a little bit different for the foreseeable future, but they're, you know, just dealing with it uh, as, as best they can. I mean, he, he, I think that the first thing he said was that he's just really thankful to have players back on campus. And I think any coach who is in the position where they have players on campus right now and actually practicing, I think they would echo that no matter how they feel about how they arrive there and whether or not they, sh- you know, h- how it should be going. I think everyone's thankful to, to have that opportunity. And, and, and he is among them, even if it has been a little bit of a um, struggle is not the right word, but it's just been a little bit of a challenge. Uh, to get it going and there's always the anxiety of how much longer is this going to last yeah absolutely uh like we talked about unique fall and um everyone's just kind of trying to make the best of it and, and figure it out as they go uh the owls uh you know are returning some pieces like like you got to um you know, like, like you got to talk about that they weren't expecting to to have back and um, you know, like I mentioned leading into the interview, that this was a team that, that was off to a nice solid start to the season that has been consistently one of the best teams in Conference USA, been a consistent regional team over the last several years. And, you know, at least when you start to kind of line up what they could be in 2021, I mean, there's, there's reason to be excited about it. I mean, there's reason to be excited for pretty much every team in the country this time of year. But, you know, when you look at having a guy like Bobby Morganson back who, you know, has, he's done some, you know, really significant things over his career at FAU already. And, and now you get him back unexpectedly for, for next year. I mean, that's a big time bat to have back in the lineup. And, and you can say the same about, you know, a few other players uh, at, at FAU. So I don't know, it's, it's uh, an intriguing group as you kind of start to look at conference USA. Um, you know, I, I think that they, you know, right now have to be considered one of the, the, the favorites as, as usual, um, you know, in, in, in the conference, you know, I, we talked with Charlotte's Robert Woodard earlier and, you know, there, he expressed his excitement about you know, what they have coming in, a lot of newness uh, there. I, I think that, you know, you, you look over at, at Rice and Southern Miss to, and, and La Tech, you know, teams that traditionally are, are near the top and, and they're going to have excitement as well. But, you know, it's hard not to look at what FAU has and, and think about what could be this spring. Yeah, certainly no doubt about that. One name that he mentioned that you don't necessarily hear all the time in terms of Conference USA contenders is Old Dominion. Um, he really likes what Coach Mack really likes what Coach Finwood has there. Uh, so that's, that's another name to consider there. But I, I, I'm with you and this, this FAU team looks really, really good on paper and, you know, I've done the Conference USA preview the last couple of years, and, and you kind of come into it with the thought of you look at Southern Miss's roster and you look at FAU's roster the last couple of years, and you're like, okay, one of these two teams is probably going to be the team that, that I'm predicting to win this thing. And you look at Southern Miss's roster, and they typically have the higher-end talents. Now, it was, it was a guy like Matt Walner a couple of years ago, and I think you could still make the argument with a pitcher like Gabe Shepard a frontline arm like that is something that FAU just, just doesn't have and, t- and typically don't have. They're, they're never the program really known for having a big-time Friday guy who's a, a high draft pick and you know really projectable guy. Now, their, their pitching staff is about depth and yes. the bullpen traditionally. They kind of build, build it from the back a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. So 
Southern Miss still does have that over FAU, but I don't know, like not having done a deep dive on, on Southern Miss yet, I, it, it would be hard for, for Southern Miss would have to do a lot to really convince me that, that they would be better than, than FAU coming into the season. And they may be, I'm, I'm allowing for that possibility, but what FAU brings back is, is really impressive. It, it's a really good offensive group and, and FAU always hits, but one of the things that I like about this particular group is that you have a, a group of guys who've been really, really productive, whether it's Bobby Morganson or, or Mitchell Hardigan or Wilfredo Alvarez at, at shortstop. Um, and then you've got a second set of guys who actually might be better prospects. So, you know, he calls out a couple of guys in, in catcher Nicholas Tony, and then second baseman BJ Murray, who are probably the best position player prospects that they have or among that group anyway. And those two guys have really not been the most productive. Certainly BJ Murray ha- has not been Tony a little bit more so. And so I think that actually bodes well that, hey, if those are guys that he believes are breakout candidates and that could be, you know, guys drafted in the fifth to seventh, you know, certainly in the top 10 rounds in next year's draft, he certainly believes that that breakout is in there. And if that happens, now all of a sudden you're talking about a really, really good lineup, even without Francisco Orbaez, who signed as a free agent uh, this offseason. The pitching is where there's, like you mentioned, it's a, it's a depth move and their, their pitching staff is typically about depth and, and depth is going to be the name of the game this year though, with the guys they've gotten back. I mean, a senior in Dylan O'Connell is back. who's you know, probably not a guy they expect or certainly not a guy they expect that back as a senior. There are individual arms there that I like too. Jacob Josie's a guy I like. Dante Visconti is a really good arm as a freshman in, in 2020, his numbers weren't quite there, but he's a really good arm. They also have an interesting grad transfer piece in TJ Stewart out of Manhattan who really kind of is out of FAU central casting. Not a dominant guy, but has put up good numbers. He's been durable in Manhattan. I think he's the type of guy they just slot into a big role right away, you know, kind of regardless of what that role is. But he, you know, he's someone I think fits exactly what they typically do on the mound. So I like that addition as well. So I think they're going to pitch pretty well for what they do because if depth is the name of the game for them, well, depth is going to be better this year than it has been in a long, long time. And while that may be true everywhere, um, I think it's more true at, at FAU given that that's kind of the way they build their pitching staffs. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I think one of the most interesting things, because he was very open about the idea that, look, every coach in America can say, Oh, we're really excited to have some guys back. We didn't expect to have back. But one of the things I am absolutely most fascinated to find out in, in 2021 is how much does that matter? Because if everyone feels that way, and I get that there's degrees of that, right? There's some programs who have kind of had a normal offseason because they had a whole bunch of guys drafted in five rounds or, you know, they, they couldn't bring their seniors back. And so they've had a whole bunch of, of seniors transfer. You know, Wofford is a program like that at the mid-major level. They've, you know, I, I've been updating that impact transfer tracker and, and Wofford's had, I think, half a dozen guys pop up there that were really productive guys. So some schools have had to deal with it more than others, but generally speaking, everyone's more talented than they were before. And, and I'm just really fascinated to find out how much that ends up mattering. What kind of marginal advantage does that give a team that's maybe the second team into a regional out of Conference USA or the third, second or third team out of the Missouri Valley or out of the Sun Belt or what have you? Can you see that whenever those teams play out of conference or get into regionals, how much of an advantage does that give them over maybe a power five team that doesn't have quite that much, that much more marginal talent than they had the year before. And maybe we won't be able to see it, but I'm just fascinated to, to see how that plays out. Yeah. I think I'm most interested in that idea 
idea, not like within a conference, because I think most of the schools within a conference are going to be in similar boats. You know, maybe, you know, you, you find individual examples where it's not quite like that, you know, like in the pack, uh, Arizona State has a much different looking situation than say UCLA or, you know, Washington or Stanford, you know, um, but, you know, by and large, most teams in most conferences, I think, are going to be in, in similar situations in terms of how many seniors are back. Um, you know, how how did you make it through the draft? You know, how are you integrating new play? Like, what what are your chances to integrate new players into the lineup and, and all the rest of that? But come regional time, like, yeah, does it will it matter if you're playing uh, a, a, a bigger conference team that still lost? some of their bigger pieces, uh, but you are a little older. But at that point, you know, a lot of coaches will tell you your freshmen aren't freshmen anymore. They've gone through a full season anyway. So I don't know. That's, uh, that's an interesting subplot. I think that, you know, in Conference USA, especially, you often see older teams anyway. You know, Southern Miss routinely has a bunch of juniors and seniors doing things and not so much on the, uh, the freshmen and sophomores, you know, obviously Matt Walner was freshman of the year, but that's kind of the exception. I feel like they, they're one of the programs that just kind of develops players a little bit and then they become, you know, big time pieces to the, to their lineup. And, you know, I feel the same way about, about what FAU and is doing and, and Louisiana tech is typically very junior college heavy. So, you know, in this conference, particularly, we're looking at typically older rosters at the top of the league anyway. So I don't know if that is going to matter a whole lot in conference. But then what does that mean uh, when, when you re- reach a regional or if, uh, you know, non-conference games are um, more common than what we're seeing in, in fall sports? If by then the, the non-conference schedules are allowed to be more robust. You know, what does that look like? But but in terms of in-conference things, I think it's going to be, the effect will be a little more muted because I think generally these teams operate in similar ways. Yeah, my 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 fear is not, I was going to say fear, fear is not quite the right word, but what I, I what I want to see is, you know, that we can get to the postseason and kind of see the effect of that either anecdotally or or wow, okay, you know, we had, an abnormally large number of, of, of mid-major and low-major teams make it to regional finals, for example. What I'm worried will happen is the postseason just kind of looks mostly normal and we're like, well, I guess we'll never know. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of what, you know, because you, you just want to be able to, this is any, I guess, any good scientist would would kind of want to see their hypothesis borne out, you know, whether it, uh, whether it is or not. But um, so you know, I'm just something I'm fascinated to watch. And I guess part of the reason why we may not get to see that play out until we get to the postseason is because of how unique this season will be. And one of the other things that he talked about that, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast all off season, Teddy and I have have hammered home over and over again, that the 2021 season is, is going to look a little bit different. And, you know, if you had any doubts before that, I coach Mack really spoke to it. The fact that, you know, he's heard from coaches who are planning on a 30, 30 some odd games. And he had some, you know, his conference is going from 10 conference weeks to eight and that opened up some holes. And, you know, he's looking to schedule more locally. He talked about adding games with Miami or Florida Gulf coast or playing South Florida for the first time in a long time. And 
um, you know, <laughs> hearing things from coaches like, um, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but if you can find somebody else, do that, which, okay, I guess that means he needs to find somebody else, basically. Um, that, you know, that's been a challenge for, for all coaches. And I think there's still a lot of wait and see going on in, in a lot of places, maybe not so much with the 2021 schedule, but he talked about, you know, challenges with the 2022 schedule as well. So that's kind of an, an ongoing thing and a, and a moving target. And that dovetailed into a conversation we had about how the postseason gets determined. And, you know, he's big on, it's, it's going to be a year when you have to lean on the regional advisory committees. And I think that's right because, you know, if, if, if teams, if you've got some teams playing a relatively normal schedule of 40 some odd 50 games and they played an entire conference schedule plus a couple of weekends. And then you've got other schools that are just doing conference play and they end up playing about 30 games. You know, how do you, how do you kind of, measure those apples and oranges in a lot of cases it won't matter because it's if you're from a one bid league okay you're the conference champ you get the automatic bid and that's all she wrote whereas major conference teams it's a whole different story but there are going to be times where you have to do those apples and oranges comparison when it's time to build the bracket and this is going to be a little bit different this time of year where you're not going to be able to the rpi is not going to be as helpful and let's put it that way the rpi and the traditional metrics are just not going to be helpful as helpful this year, maybe not helpful at all. We'll have to see how the RPI. If they don't play non-conference, they won't be helpful. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, and then if some teams. And I don't know how many non-conference games you have to play before they are helpful. Correct. So like that, that's actually what I was about to say is just like, how muddy are you willing to let the waters be? If let's say the major conferences for the most part play non-conference games and even the, even the conference USA's and the Sun Belts and the Americans and what have you play at least one not or maybe two non-conference weekends how muddy are you willing to let the waters be to actually use that metric at all or do you just not even bother with it and those are questions to be answered but you know he you know talked about how this is just going to be a little bit different this time around and he and I kind of maybe maybe it's a little hopefulness but he and I talked about the idea that maybe just the fact that if they're able to build a field of 64 that looks right and uh, you know, brings out a result that um, kind of a desired result, however you define that, that maybe it allows for a little more change moving forward to say, see, look, we, we don't need to, to just use kind of these same metrics over and over again. The RPI does not have to drive everything here. If they're able to build out that field without using that as a crutch, then perhaps it can be something that's not used as much moving forward and maybe a little bit of wishful thinking, but I think there's also probably just a little bit of um I think there's probably a little something to that that you it it seems like something that maybe would be insurmountable to do without until you have to do without it and you realize maybe you didn't need it as much as you as you thought you did so we'll have to see um but that's certainly an interesting conversation the kinds of things that someone in John McCormick's position not just as a long tenured coach but also as his position is at the top of the division one council at ABCA um the types of things that he's thinking about all the time yeah, I'm uh, trying to pull up my survey results. Um, yeah, here they are now. And when I asked coaches this spring, like what they wanted, like what their biggest complaint about the NCAA tournament was, um, the fourth most common, yeah, the fourth most common 
answer was some variation of fixing RPI. And so if you could go through, um, you know, the, it, 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 to your point, if, if, if you could find a way to do a field less dependent on RPI or find a way to tweak RPI going forward, um, that would be a popular item among many coaches. Um, you know, I think if I ask coaches straight up and down, do you think RPI needs to be tweaked? I, I think that we would find a lot of people, if not the majority, would say yes. So, you know, that is a thing that already is on people's minds. And then you add in the complications of this year. And I, I think you're going to see, uh, you know, more problems with it. Uh, you know, also a very common answer, the second most common answer was better mid-major representation, which I know is something that Sean McCormick as a Conference USA coach probably is, uh, you know, hopeful for um, in a, you know, in any tweaks that, that would be made that, that, that would enable uh, some, some more mid-major teams uh, to make it in. You know, we'll see if, uh, if that how that bears out. I don't know whether further emphasis of regional advisory committees would be good or bad for mid-majors. That's something that we kind of have to play out. Um, I don't know. That, if, if that is the way it, it ends up being, it, it certainly will be that regional advisory committees have a bigger role this year. Uh, I will be very interested to see what that means. Does that mean uh, more geographic, more even geographic distribution? Um, because there just hasn't been the inter-region competition that you need to determine that, you know, one group is better than the other group, or do people just kind of fall back on the idea that, you know, okay, the SEC and the ACC typically get somewhere between eight and 10 teams in the tournament. So let's put in the top eight to 10 teams in the ACC and the pack you know, make sure they have five or six and the big 12 has five or six or whatever and, and go from there. And, you know, I, I don't know which way it'll end up. I could see it going either way. And uh, I mean, that's, th these are problems that are, you know, much further down the road than the immediate, but they are things that the people, you know, need to be thinking about already because th this is something that you need to have in some way kind of figured out going into the season. So everyone knows that they're on the same you know, knows, knows the rules that they're playing with, uh, because otherwise th this committee could, you know, really, really feel a lot of heat uh, when the field is, is coming out if, if people aren't comfortable with the way that they're going about selecting it. Yeah, I, I mean, you and I could do a whole, it's probably not the worst topic in the world, but you and I could do a whole RPI-centric show just about the pros and the cons and the, the arguments on either side of it. But one thing I will say that I've, and this is not something John McCormick said in the interview, I'm not putting words in his mouth, but it is something I've, he, he is, however, an advocate for tweaking the RPI. He does say that in the, in the interview. But one thing I've heard, I hear all the time with coaches is kind of this, there are some coaches who feel like they want to know exactly what the metrics are the committee wants them to hit on. And, and I get that because they get frustrated that one year you get told it's really important you finish over 500 in conference. And then the next year you've got 13 and 17 teams in conference that are in. And then there, there's all these different metrics that kind of come and seem to come and go in importance in a given year. And then the RPI is kind of one of those. So I, but I get the, 
so I understand that frustration, but then there's another part of it, and the RPI is, is part of this, where I think there's also an argument to be made that I've, that I've also heard is that, well, part of the problem here is that we've, we've kind of figured out the RPI, right? Like, for a while, there was a little bit of mystery about it. Like, you, you knew the formula in a literal sense, but unless you were really spending a lot of time trying to break down what it meant for you and your schedule, there was a little bit of mystery in there to a certain degree. There was also a period of time when it, it seems like it was less of a metric used. And I think it's inarguable that it seems like it's been the, the primary metric over the last at least decade or so. But there, I think there is an interesting argument to be made that just, that is not too different, by the way, from a lot of the, the arguments about things like, you know, shifting in Major League Baseball, where it's like, do we now know too much? And is it hurting the product? And, you know, that, that is an interesting argument that I find at least somewhat convincing and compelling, just the idea that, and, I, and I'm the guy who's interested in talking to coaches about how do you approach the RPI? What do you know about RPI? And how does that influence how you schedule? I find that question infinitely interesting. Teddy knows that well. But that being said, I am here, I, I, I do hear the argument that we've got it too figured out now. And so what we're doing is we're all trying to schedule the same exact kinds of games. And yes, geography limits that a little bit, but they're right in that we are trying to all schedule the same types of games. And oh, by the way, what that also means is that you're not trying to schedule games with these other certain teams. And that's kind of a problem too. So um, just an inter- like I said, an interesting conversation that we could go on for, for hours and hours on. But I think that's I think this is of- a thought I just had in the, in the moment. And we may need to explore this, you and I, Joe, uh, is – what is the right number for a college baseball season? Uh, you know, they're at 56 kind of by accident. It just kind of got there. Uh, there are a lot of people that would like to see it be more. Um, you know, can you jam more in? Can you not jam more in? I don't know. But like, is 56 a good number? And then if we decide that 56 is a good number, like, what is a good number of conference games? Because, you know, right now, your average, like, power school is doing some combination of, like, 10 10 weekends of conference play, midweek play of, you know, whatever's around you, basically. Um, You know, trying basically to play the best ones, but also, you know, trying to, you know, keep your relationships with schools that are around you. And then, so that leaves you with four weeks to, to, you know, play with in, in non-conference and you're either playing a premium opponent in, or you're going to a tournament and then three weeks of, you know, just not, not necessarily filler or preseason, but like warm up kind of games because it's all about, you know, getting ready for conference play. Like, is that actually a good model? Like, is it, I, you know, we love Florida playing, Miami and Clemson playing South Carolina and, and, you know, we love the, you know, the, the Shriners tournament and, and then the Dodger stadium tournament. Uh, but, you know, is, is that enough or like, would it be better for the sport if they also were playing another high end team or would that be bad because now you're taking opportunities away from an FAU um, not that FAU is getting scheduled on the weekend by Florida or Miami anyway, because they're too good, basically. Like, I don't know. It, there, there's a, 
there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, you hear this talked about a lot in basketball, a lot in, in football, and maybe it's time that we, we talk about it in baseball as well because, you know, FAU, uh, you know, it probably isn't the most popular weekend opponent for these power conference teams. I mean, they're trying to build their own thing. They don't want to just submit to whatever, you know, everyone wants. And it, 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 it impacts their RPI ultimately. And, and so that impacts their postseason and, and everything else. So I, maybe this is the year where if everything's going to be weird anyway, we need to you know, kind of look at what can be done going forward. Yeah, no, really, yeah, really interesting. I'm, those types of conversations I, I've, I find endlessly fascinating. And the, the, the examples of like FAU and Miami is an interesting one too, because I just wonder what a world without midweek games would look like. You know, I love a good weird midweek game. As someone who went to school at a, a low majors program, it was those midweek games were actually the better games because that's when you'd get the big name opponents. And so that was more interesting. So I have an appreciation for midweek games. However, in a world without them, you have to wonder, like, now maybe is Miami more interested in playing FI or FAU or FIU, I guess, for that matter, but FAU because, you know, part of the problem now is that, well, we kind of need to keep that inventory in the midweek because we just need to play those games in the midweek and you guys are just up the road and we can play that pretty easily. Whereas if that gets taken away, now is it, well, okay, we can play three games with you because your, your RPI is pretty good. And, yes, you might beat us, but I guess that's a risk we're taking. So there's a, a – a measurement there, but right now, you know, if you were to schedule them on the weekends too, it's a question of, okay, so are we going to play you five or six times a year? And you know what, in 2021, they may have to, but um, moving forward, that would be a different, a different discussion. So if you take midweek out of it, I wonder how it, it changes some of that calculus, but, but yeah, you're right. I mean, this is an interesting topic that we could, we could really, uh, you know, we could really discuss uh, well into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And before we dive too deep into it, let's uh, let's move on from there. I, I think it is something uh, that everyone should be considering minimally for this year, but but looking ahead, like what what is the the best formula for for these games, and and, and how does it impact then the the postseason? Uh, because there's you know to to Max's point, you know if you're looking at thirty games for 35 games whatever for some teams and some other teams are still playing 56 you know what does all of that mean how is that going to affect things so uh again these are not the immediate concerns but they are they are things that that are probably going to come up this spring and, and, and have to be evaluated uh so interesting conversation with coach mac as always we uh we appreciate him joining uh the baseball america college podcast and uh, if you want to listen to more of him uh, you can listen to him at Max Musings. Uh, I don't know when season four is going to start, uh, but you've got uh, you've got three seasons of, of Max Musings uh, over at fausports.com/podcast uh, if you are so inclined. All right, so Joe, I think that'll uh, wrap us up uh, for this week. There's plenty of content to keep everyone busy over at baseballamerica.com. Still more recruiting. Uh, stuff coming from me, more conference stock watches coming from Joe. Uh, we released the top 10 recruiting classes of the last century, of, of this century, uh, conveniently the same amount of time we at Baseball America have been recru doing recruiting rankings. Um, so that was interesting to pull together. I'm sure you guys uh, would be interested in checking it out as well. So you can find that over at the website, baseballamerica.com. 
I am on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're finding your podcasts, you can find us. We greatly appreciate it. If you rate, review, subscribe, all of that uh, greatly helps us and other people to find the podcast. But mostly, we, we appreciate uh, you guys listening here uh, each and every week throughout um, a unprecedentedly long offseason. Uh, you guys have been great about that, and we're continuing to uh, to enjoy doing the podcasts ourselves. So hopefully you guys uh, keep listening uh, through fall ball as things get cranked up around the country. Thank you again to FAU coach John McCormick for joining us. Uh, we want to thank you, um, you know, for, for listening each and every week to the Baseball America College podcast presented by Rapsodo. And remember, you can check out their uh, national database at rapsodo.com slash national database. Uh, for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America College podcast. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.